Please be seated. Imagine that at one time or another, most of you will have seen in print the optical illusion uh, of a picture that is both a duck and a rabbit. You look at it one way, it's a duck. You look at it another way, it's a rabbit. If you have a smartphone or an iPad, you can do a web search for duck-rabbit illusion, and you'll see what I mean. Uh, it, uh, I came across it the first time as an undergraduate reading uh, Ludwig Wittgenstein uh, philosophical investigations, and he used this and other illusions to think about how we see and what we see and what meanings we give what we see and, and how complicated that process is. I saw it again uh, within the last couple of weeks in a Paul Noth cartoon in The New Yorker, and it was uh, uh, on a pennant of two armies facing each other, and both armies had banners that were exactly the same with this duck-rabbit thing on them, and the, lead, the swords are drawn, and one of the leaders of this army is saying, uh, there will never be peace until they renounce their duck god and accept our rabbit god. You know, it was, a, it was just a massively good cartoon about perspective and how difficult it can be to sort things out, but it's also about how often uh, we use God in ways that support our own desires for control or our own desires uh, that are fundamentally violent to enforce uh, our will on other people gets to be very, very tricky. And a lot of that is actually going on in this reading from Third Isaiah. Uh, this, this is late Isaiah. This is after uh, people have come back from their exile in Babylon. And scholars think there's a, there's a fight going on between different classes or castes of priests about who's going to run the sacrificial system. And this is in all likelihood a plea of the losers. God, will you show yourself? Why must we wait for you to show yourself? Show yourself in mighty ways so that our enemies and the nations all can see your great power. It's, it's probably why we read it at the beginning of Advent. Oh, Lord, we're waiting for you to reveal yourself again. And in our context, that makes some sense. But originally, it's a call for God to show power and to do something powerful over against the enemies. It's very, uh, very tricky because that God, that God we will wait forever, the God that wants to bless violence, the God that is about control, the God that is about crusades, the God that is about forcing other people to do their will, that, that is a God whose revelation is not coming. We've waited forever for that revelation. What we have to do is train ourselves to perceive God's hand at work in the God that is revealed in Jesus, the one who has come and is to come and is already present. The kingdom of heaven is already in your midst, has drawn near. And we look for that God, the Jesus-like God, among the victims, among the poor, among those who mourn, among those uh, for whom life is filled with joy, those who dance with abandon, those who live with integrity and walk in the way of righteousness. That's where we're going to find the God that we seek being revealed, the God who is already here, the God who is born powerless in a stable and dies as the ultimate victim of sacrificial religion on a cross, on a cross, revealing 
the mechanisms of violence that govern so much of our lives and which in many ways are hardwired into us. We have to practice seeing God's hand at work. And, and when we do, we will receive great blessings. In this scripture, there are some clues about, that we can take about what gets in the way of, of, our, of our being able to see God. See, we've got, we've got them pleading that the mountains will quake at your presence, that you make your name known to your adversaries, and the nations will tremble at your presence. When we start seeing ourselves over against others, when we start claiming or thinking that maybe God is on our side and we are the righteous ones and those other people are wrong, then very often that's a clue that we need to take another look at our own righteousness and look for where God is among the victims, among the powerless, among those who are without. I've been thinking a lot about this with the commentary and the reaction uh, and the more commentary to the reaction of the verdict of the grand jury in Ferguson, Missouri, where I keep thinking we've got to find a way to see beyond both literal and metaphorical categories of black and white and start to say, where is God? Is God present in the suffering, the mourning of Michael Brown's family? Is God present to uh, that young policeman, presumably afraid, and carrying a gun which we, society, have sanctioned and put in his hands as a symbol of power? Is God present there? Is God present to him in that moment? Or, or is God present in something that's yet unfolding? Is God going to be present when the conversation shifts and instead of about being who's right and who's wrong and who's angry and who's fearful and whose business has been looted and who's done the looting and, and, and move somehow into a new kind of communal conversation which some voices are already beginning to do saying how can we get beyond this to a place where there is real mutual respect and where we understand that we've got a system where parents, African-American parents, teach their children to be careful and even cautious and even, even hide around white policemen. And those white policemen, what are they, what's going on with them? How does that conversation change? And we'll start to see God's hand at work when, when swords are turned into plowshares and when the conversation becomes about understanding and, and seeking to redress grievance and seeking to move forward in new ways, not either or, but both and, in trying to find ways that, that really do share uh, power, or at least are not about power primarily. When that happens, we'll see God, God's hand at work ministering to fear and anxiety and degradation and oppression and all of the things that are in this horrible, horrible stew where it's not just Ferguson, but it's everywhere. We can be part of that conversation when we start recognizing our own sense of righteousness and our own gander rising and say, wait a minute, that's going to start becoming very quickly a, a kind of duck-rabbit God and instead look for God where, where people are broken and where hope is necessary. A second clue is similar because these, these priests are talking about their enemies and the nations, they're kind of categorizing, we can infer, categorizing other people 
And that, when we find ourselves dealing with somebody else as a category, which we do a lot of the time, because we're hardwired to distinguish ourselves in all kinds of ways, when we find ourselves treating someone else as a category rather than as a full person whose story must be told and understood and appreciated before we know that person, uh, then that's a clue that we need to look, at God, look for God's hand at work in someone else's life in a new way. We have to somehow turn the prism, get a new pair of glasses, whatever it is. Uh, some of you have seen the movie St. Vincent. Uh, it's not you know, going to win lots of prizes, but if you like Bill Murray, it's a fantastic film because he's marvelous in it. And basically, he's a disgusting character, irascible, rude, mean. He drinks, he gambles, he's... Uh, He's, you know, if there's something wrong, he, he does it. And a boy and his mother move next door. And somehow the boy, it's fairly predictable, but the boy starts to see Vincent uh, in, a, in, a, in a new way and past all this uh, horrible uh, attitude that he has and starts to see him uh, as the man who cared for his wife until she died and starts to see him as the hero who saved a lot of lives in Vietnam and starts to see things about him that are, are just suppressed under his bitterness and his anger that come out of his own sense of loss and, and starts choosing to love. And this little boy Noah is at school and they're studying saints and they're asked to come up with a saint among us and it's pretty predictable what happens and he, he sees Vincent uh, as a saintly creature because... He's gone beyond what's presented to where he knew the whole story and began to find, even in the midst of this, this ugly life, uh, some, some moments and pieces of real beauty and was able to relate to him differently. It changed everything. It changed the conversation when he didn't categorize the other character. And that's what we have to do when we find ourselves reacting to someone as a category or with a set of assumptions, is pause and recognize that we need a new vision and that we're granted that when we start looking for God's hand at work, where there is fear, where there is anxiety, where there is brokenness, and even where there is joy. And then the last clue in this passage is the blaming and the avoidance of responsibility on our part. And so we hear... So we hear uh, we, we, we are the ones, you have delivered us into the, you've hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. You are the one who has been absent and caused us to sin, oh God. It's your fault we're in this mess. And in fact, you're the potter, so just mold us how you want, as if we have no responsibility whatsoever. That God is not coming. That God is not coming. The God who is already present the God who we will celebrate again at Christmas in our midst is the one who sees things differently, who takes responsibility, who doesn't blame others. And so when we again find our dander rising and we start wanting to exercise control and power uh, or when we want to start blaming others for the sins of the world, when we want to start avoiding taking any responsibility for the communities that are suffering, for example, then that's a clue that it's time to look again, to practice seeing God's hand at work. Because our God is mighty, but the might is not power in the sense of violent coercion. It's the power of love. 
It's the power of ministering to one another in times of need. We are baptized into that God, the God who is born in a stable, the God who dies on a cross, the ultimate victim. It's that God that we must seek to see. And when we glimpse that God's hand at work, then we can celebrate Christmas. I offer this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.